A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian who works either in or through the mucky business of politics. Well, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And well, of course, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are in politics and doing so in an informed way. Today, we're going to be joined by leading US theologian, Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Moore currently works at the publication Christianity Today. He's previously served as president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll take a dive into US politics, the good, the bad and the ugly. But before that, possibly my favourite part of being an MP is visiting primary schools. We always have a question and answer session. And the wonderful thing about children of that age is they don't know what they're not meant to ask. I've had some extremely colourful questions over the years. Last week, I visited Ambleside Primary School. It's a fantastic school in a stunning location in the heart of the Lake District. It feels like the safest place on earth. The first question I got was about how old my pet dogs are. But the bulk of the questions were about Ukraine. It was sobering to hear how much the invasion occupied the children's thoughts. I got an overwhelming sense of their immense compassion for the people of Ukraine, their horror and anger at Putin and their fear. It reminded me of the fear always present when I was growing up in the Cold War under the shadow of the bomb. When I talk to adults about this crisis, they often ask, how can this be happening in 2022? This is the 21st century. The assumption is that humanity should have progressed beyond horrors such as the war in Ukraine by now. I'm sure you've heard people saying similar things. So what's our response to this? Well, first of all, this is a very Western viewpoint. Try telling people in Chechnya, Rwanda or Afghanistan that the 21st century is no place for war. Try telling Christians in North Korea, Uyghurs in China or religious minorities in Myanmar that 2022 is a time of peace and progress. We have become self-satisfied and comfortable because war and persecution often happen a long way away from the UK. We've been comforted by peace across most of our continent for many decades. Each year on Remembrance Sunday, we say never again. Nobody under 40 will even remember the anxieties and uncertainties of the Cold War. Our response to distant wars in recent years is often limited to how we deal with the fallout of refugees arriving on our shores. We've become insular. Francis Fukuyama spoke of the end of history with the fall of Soviet communism, and as huge technological advances have transformed society, we've continued to assume that progress is inevitable. Even the rise of populism and nationalism in Europe and the US has been seen by many liberals as just a blip, and by those who are attracted by such ideologies as a way of regaining control from what they see as the failures of liberalism, a way of setting things back on the right track. But God doesn't promise progress. His kingdom advances most clearly where there is great hardship. He promises ultimately to set the world the right way up, which is a great hope, but he does not promise us a life of ease and plenty along the way. Matthew 24 tells us to expect wars and rumours of wars and the persecution of believers before the Son of Man returns. See that you are not alarmed, says Jesus. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. The end of all evil, suffering, death, sadness and pain is still to come. It will all be over. There will be ultimate progress, but not yet. 
In John 16, verse 33, Jesus promises that in this world you will have trouble. Sin is in this world. People live for themselves and not for the God who made them and who loves them. There is no less sin in the world now than during the wars of the 20th century that we hoped we'd left behind. So there's no reason to be surprised that such horrors still happen today. Why wouldn't they? The world is still fallen. Humanity is still fallen. The myth of the inevitability of human progress is just that. It's a myth. But Jesus promises us more. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world? What a claim. Jesus' death on the cross looked like a disgraceful, shameful, final defeat, and yet it turned out to be the ultimate triumph. Evil's grip was shattered, and death was given a death sentence. Don't we look at the images of suffering and wickedness on TV and yearn for that to be true? Well, it is true. Jesus tells us that it is only God's patience, graciously allowing time for more people to turn to him, that delays the end. The outrage in Ukraine shouldn't be happening, not because it's the 21st century, but because this is God's world and our God is righteous. He is not neutral about good and evil. Instead, he is all powerful and all good and justice will be done. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So to this week's guest, Dr. Russell Moore, theologian and commentator, uh, speaking to us today live from the other side of the Atlantic. Well, let's start with the the first thing, Russell, a, a massive welcome to you. And tell us a little bit about how you first became a Christian. Well, I grew up in an evangelical Christian church uh, from the time I was um, from the time I was born, and uh, became a Christian very early on, maybe around uh, age twelve. But then went through a time of uh, real spiritual crisis uh, at about the age of fifteen uh, that I came through, and uh, and really turned out to be determinative for the rest of my life because I'm I'm constantly thinking about the people who are in the situation I was in then of wondering, mm. well, is Christianity really just politics or culture or something else? And uh, so that was, that was really shaping for me. And C.S. Lewis had quite an impact, didn't he? Yes, because I had read the Chronicles of Narnia so many times as a, as a child that I recognized his name on the spine of mere Christianity. Mm. And that really was what helped me through, not because of the arguments. I didn't have intellectual problems with Christianity. It was um, with the fact that Lewis was very clearly not marketing. Mm. Uh, he, he was bearing witness, and I could tell the difference. Yes, he was. If he was marketing anything, it was the gospel. He wasn't right. trying to convince you of any kind of political or, or, or cultural position. Right, right. That's exactly right. So let's move on to that. And <laughs> um, from the United Kingdom perspective, it seems as though support for the Republican Party and being an evangelical Christian in the States are synonymous. To what extent is that actually true? Well, I think that part of the problem is that there's a there's a reality and then there's a media perception. Mm. And I, I'm always frustrated when I'm talking to uh, media who assume that uh, evangelical Christians are like cicadas that go into dormancy until uh, the Iowa caucuses every four years. And so it's an, it's an entirely political reality. That's not really true. But it is true that uh, at least among white evangelicals, uh, the Republican Party has, um, has spoken to them, has sought to, to mobilize them in ways that the Democratic Party has not. And it's true that politics has overwhelmed everything uh, in American life. 
to, to such a degree that religious life is overwhelmed by it as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I could tell you right now, uh, I don't know a single uh, evangelical church at the moment that is in danger of dividing over the Trinity or justification or sanctification. I know countless numbers that are at the point of dividing over political identity. Now, I think for many people, certainly here in the UK, we were very aware of this at the point that George W. Bush was elected president, uh, mm-hmm. a man who is a Christian himself. Mm-hmm. And you could sort of understand um, the majority of or many evangelical Christians choosing to vote for him and his brand of uh, you know, conservative republicanism. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that there's been a, a translation of that support to Donald Trump, who, so far as we can tell, is, is not a believer and holds lots of views and positions that are in direct contradiction to the gospel. So how do we explain that? Well, a part of it has to do with a, a question about what was authentically convictional and what was not. And, and that's, a, uh, that's a very real discovery uh, that many people are making. Part of it, though, you mentioned George W. Bush. Mm. Notice the sort of uh, apocalyptic emergency kind of language that George W. Bush's opponents made about him in mm. terms of religion. So, well, he's a theocrat. He's going to uh, take over the United States with the Bible. I mean, none of that was I mean, true at all. <laughs> uh, but it was the sort of language that could appeal to a base. That also happens on the right. So there's this mm. sense of uh, this is such an emergency. Um, uh, people would use the, the analogy of Flight 93, the, the plane that was uh, taken yeah. down by the passengers yeah. in, uh, on September 11th, to say this is a Flight 93 election, um, which turned out to not just be that election, but it turned out to be a Flight 93 time in terms of, of rhetoric uh, that, we're, that we're still not out of. And so there's this, there's this sense that if you're in an emergency, then that means that none of the old rules apply. Uh, and, and so that sort of language was being used. What was disturbing to me and has been all along is not so much the lesser of two evils sort of argument that some mm. evangelical Christians would make, which I think is reasonable, even though I disagree with it. Mm. It was that it never stayed lesser of two evils. It, it became an adaptation to this, um, this person and to this movement mm. in ways that are you, you could just look at the surveys and show the change in four years of evangelicals in terms of the question, does character matter for political leadership? Overwhelmingly, yes. And now, no. What what changed? Well, that's fascinating. And so two things to take away from that. The first is obviously a Flight 93 election, the sense that, oh, Donald Trump might not be a great person. Uh, We might not agree with him. He might not share our values, but we've got to stop the Democrats. To what extent is all of this the Democrats' fault? Did they give up on Christian voters? Had they repelled Christian voters? Yes. I mean, it's 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 not the fault of any single um, of any single person, but it is the case that um, I mean, for instance, uh, among uh, conservative church going um, evangelical voters in 2016, hmm. there uh, there there were many of us who said we can't support either candidate 
uh, and we will, I mean, of course, U.S. is a, a two-party system, unlike the U.K., and so that meant uh, writing in a candidate or voting for a, a third-party candidate. There were mm-hmm. far fewer evangelicals who would have been able to say, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. for various reasons. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the reasons being Hillary Clinton didn't seem to want uh, those sorts of uh, votes. And so mm-hmm. uh, that is a, a, a real reality that the Democratic Party um, – really does not since to some degree bill clinton but really more since jimmy carter mm. has not wanted uh, the votes of um of evangelical or very traditional roman catholic voters either mm. and is this because of a sense of um like a liberal convictions that that christians think illiberal things on issues like you know sexuality on judgment on abortion and things like that and we just don't want anything to do with these people we don't want their votes uh, m- much of it has to do I-, I would say abortion is probably uh, key I mean just mm. just look at the change that has happened over the past uh, several years there was a time when I was a congressional intern um, mm. uh, early in my life uh, I worked for a pro-life uh, Democrat, an anti-abortion Democratic uh, congressman who was part of many uh, Democrats in Congress who held that view. Mm-hmm. And there were many Republicans uh, who were uh, pro-abortion rights. Now, mm-hmm. that is not at all the case. The parties have sorted out, not just on those issues, but on, on many other issues uh, in ways that uh, become make it very, very hard uh, for either party to appeal to voters who might not be with them completely. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're speaking with US theologian and commentator, Dr. Russell Moore. Russell, a watered down version of Christianity where there's no judgment, no sin, no need for salvation has been rightly rejected by Christians. Mm -hmm. But is it true to say that Christian nationalism is also a version of false teaching? And if so, what is it? Christian nationalism is heretical. It's mm. it's the idea of the kingdom that comes in some other way than through the cross, which is what uh, the the old uh, Presbyterian theologian J. Gresham Machen identified as liberalism, uh, which is uh, the way he was using the term. It's Christianity as a means to an end, mm. and so we have always seen the temptation of um, of the state and especially of authoritarian movements to adopt religion. Um, as as a means to an end, because it can purport to answer all of the deepest and most ultimate longings of, of a human heart. Of course, it can't it can't uh, pay out on those promises, but that's what it that's what it uh, purports to do. And so, Christian nationalism comes in and wants to um, and wants to have a kind of Christianity that isn't about the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. And so that that then becomes something completely not just a a deviation from biblical christianity it becomes an entirely different religion from christianity Mm. and i suppose the problem there going back to the previous conversation we had about where the democrats stand here and in particular how liberal-minded maybe metropolitan voters stand is there a sense that if the voice of christianity in the states is this kind of christian nationalism a, a, a heresy then that means that half the country is listening to the gospel or rather not listening to the gospel. They've got their fingers in their ears and therefore they're not hearing the message. I think that's, I think that's quite true in terms of the people who are paying attention to what's, uh, what's happening. I think there are many other people who aren't quite aware of um, most people 
uh, most people just aren't all that politically uh, defined mm -hmm. in terms of their day-to-day -day lives and, and sometimes don't put together what is uh, what they're actually taking in from Facebook or other places. But when they do, yes, it, le it leads in a place that's very dangerous, not just to democracy, but to people's own souls, which is, mm. is more important for me. Mm, absolutely. Now, in terms of how Christians in different parties work together, I mean, this week, I will, as most weeks, sit down, read the Bible with and pray with a group of politicians here in Parliament from three or four different parties. Does that happen in Congress? Uh, yes, but it happens privately in Congress because it's uh, it's very politically dangerous mm. to be seen with someone from uh, the other party. It, it looks like compromise um, mm -hmm. or like a, a watering down of conviction. So there will be members of, of Congress in, in many different parties and ideologies or, mm. or both parties and many different ideologies who will be very friendly with one another, will pray with one another, will have Bible studies together, mm. but they would never want that to show up on an attack ad. So that's uh, deeply so worrying. keep it private. Yeah, so, well, so in one sense, I'm encouraged to hear that. Um, mm -hmm. But also, does that, is that, a relatively recent development would that have been the case 20 years ago uh it would have not been the case the way that it is now that that would have been controversial uh mm. 20 years ago um if anything people wanted to project an understanding of we can work together and we can get things done especially on on times of um in times of big crisis so a hurricane hits and uh, mm. a, a governor no matter what his or her party would want to be seen with the president of the united states mm. Uh, now, those images of just greeting the president of a different party uh, on the tarmac will show up in a primary election um, yeah. attack ad. I mean, that, yeah. that's a very, very different thing. So particularly from a Christian point of view and how Christians relate to politics in the States, this all seems deeply worrying, divisive, um, that branches of the church that we thought were biblically faithful are not being because of this kind of pollution with Christian nationalism. What's the answer? I think the answer is to go back to C.S. Lewis, disillusionment of the right sort. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what Lewis said in 1939 in Oxford about uh, learning in wartime, mm -hmm. he says, when you come to this point of disillusionment where there's a sense of frustration, that can be the beginning of, uh, of recognizing that, that uh, the things that you were clinging to uh, weren't meant to satisfy and that, that this time was meant to be pilgrimage. So I think there's a kind of exhaustion uh, that is taking place right now that, that if it is um, it channeled in the right direction, uh, could lead to that sense of, of reprioritizing and putting the right things in order. And I'm encouraged by that because when I see uh, evangelical Christians in the States as elsewhere uh, in their 20s uh, and younger, mm -hmm. They simply aren't uh, trying to find another uh, means of expressing their political ideologies. They, they really do want to take up the cross and follow Christ. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about that uh, over the next uh, few years, but the next year or two or five, I think will be especially perilous. A lot of people won't make it through with their faith intact. And that's deeply troubling, isn't it? And there are people, obviously, who uh, attend evangelical churches in the States. Um, and you were saying to me the other day, are on the cusp of leaving, mm -hmm. not because they disagree with the theology so much, but that they feel that if they aren't 
um, bought into the kind of make, to make America great again Trumpism, that they're somehow unwelcome. Is, is that part of the problem? Well, I think the issue is actually a little deeper than that. Mm. I think it's not just that they think, well, I'm not unwelcome because of my, my politics. Even when they agree with the politics, if mm. they conclude that that's, what, uh, that that's what the religion is about, yes, they can get the politics somewhere else without having to yeah. give up a, a Sunday morning. And you yeah. add to that the sort of scandalous uh, revelations that have happened in many institutions, but in church life. That can lead to that uh, that sense of um, sense of, of threat, even mm. uh, by by what's present in the church. So look at what's happened, for instance, in Ireland um, mm. with the Roman Catholic Church since the uh, since the revelations um, in full measure of several years mm. ago. Uh, mm. A similar thing is happening in multiple different branches of the American yeah. Church right now, where people are wondering. Is this is this really true? So the, the yeah. problem with that is you end up losing then the people who are not the people who are saying, well, I don't want a moral structure or I don't want uh, the miraculous, but the people who are saying, I don't think the church holds to its own mm -hmm. moral structure. And that's a very different dynamic. So integrity really does really does matter in in church leadership as it does elsewhere you said something when we spoke the other day which i thought was really powerful and it's made me reflect upon well on myself really and, and how i approach such matters you said one of the problems is that the u.s is full of bible quoters but not bible readers tell us what you mean by that yes that was a new testament scholar who had, had, had mentioned this in the introduction of a book and i stopped and thought that's exactly what's mm. happening we know how to go to the, the scripture to answer specific problems or to, to debate controversies. But the way that the scripture works is, uh, is not just at the level of our, our cognitive minds. Uh, mm. Jesus says it works like, like yeast and, and through the spirit conforms us into the image of Christ. And so the, it's, it's very difficult to find a sense of um, people finding their own identity in the storyline of, of scripture. That's that's much more difficult than uh, simply looking around the Bible to answer my specific anxiety or my specific mm -hmm. argument. And uh, and the second just doesn't lead to uh, personal or social transformation within the church. Mm -hmm. Final question for you, Russell. If there's one thing we could be praying for uh, the U.S. church and its relationship with politics, what would it be? Well, one thing I would say is to pray for pastors who are, um, many of them, deeply discouraged and demoralized because it seems that coming out of not just the tumultuous uh, era of elections, but also the pandemic um, and the things that come along with that, there are many church leaders who are at the cusp of giving up. Mm. And uh, so we really need those, those leaders who are uh, people of integrity to continue and to uh, and to do so with with joy and encouragement well russell we know that our listeners will have heard that and we will be incorporating that into our prayers russell we remain huge fans of you and your work and the work of um, christian actually today um thanks so much for spending the time with us it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you and to hear your wisdom well my joy i'm so thankful for you and good to talk to you Each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue, or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, I'd absolutely love it if you wrote it in an email to me at farron at 
www.org.uk. This week, Vivian has been in touch via email and she asks this. Why aren't the politicians of all parties not shouting loud and clear about the need to build council houses? The waiting lists are so long, British families in bed and breakfast, hotels full of people waiting to be housed. It is so sad that this situation is out of hand and not addressed enough by politicians. Vivian, I couldn't agree with you more. Let me tell you something really blunt, um, two reasons why not, and then let's see what we can do. First of all, it's one of those situations where parties should work together and they don't work together. Why? Because if parties work together, they have to share the credit and they don't get the chance to apportion blame. Isn't that cynical? But it's my explanation, but no excuse as to why, partly why this hasn't been properly addressed. Secondly, the fact is that for many people who are comfortable and have their own home, this is not a pressing issue. Maybe it is their children or grandchildren, but not immediately them. And the reality is the more comfortable you are, the more likely you are to vote. And so politicians don't take the action that they need to take. And the simple fact is this, just look at my constituency. There are about 5,000 families waiting on the council house waiting list. There are also seven or 8,000 at least second homes in my patch that nobody lives in most of the time. And so the reality is that we have to take very difficult decisions, reduce the price and the value of land, give councils the power to build houses and to do so simply, affordably for local families. That's what needs to happen. And before we can achieve that, we get to the heart of your question is that people need to work together and understand that you won't always be able to claim the credit and you will always be able to apportion the blame. And the first people who should be able to do that are Christians working across the aisle. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, let's end in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you again day after day, and hold up to you the people of Ukraine. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you protect every town, every village, every city, every family, every hospital, every school, the sources of food and fuel in that country against the attack of the invader. Lord, we know that justice will be done in the end. We ask, Lord, we beseech you that you would do justice now, that you would turn back evil, and that you would hold to account the wicked, um, that you would confound those who would seek to do death and destruction. We pray for your people in Ukraine and in Russia. We pray that they will be faithful to the truth of the gospel, that they would not be swept up in politicized versions and adulterations of the gospel, that they would be faithful to you, even if that means being brave and bold and taking a stand that may deeply offend and bring the wrath of their leaders. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who will hold every president, every prime minister, every emperor, every general to account. We thank you that you are the Lord of all. Help us in this time of fear and uncertainty to turn to you. May millions turn to you who have done, not done so so far. And would you show the church, all believers in this country, how we can best support those in need, how we can best challenge our leaders and support the cause of what is just and right. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that you can catch up on all the shows, which have included interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. Thank you so much for joining us. 